Well, amen. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it awesome to be back at work? <laughs> can't the students, you just, I know you can't wait to uh, get back to school this week. Varsity students just can't wait. I don't, they just think the holiday is much too long. They've got another two and a half weeks or three weeks to go. Keegan and Calm, I know you'd love to start tomorrow. Amen. But it is a, it is a new time starting the year again. It's always a good time just to see opportunity for change. I think especially as Christians, just starting the new year is an opportunity to having reflected on the previous year, our relationship with God through His Son Jesus and how we've served God, just to, just reflect on that and, and to undertake to, to know God even better this year and to, and to love and serve Jesus even, even more. So I love the new year. It's always Wonderful, although I must admit it is a shock to the system getting back to work. Didn't really mean that one. Uh, the campers and the counselors are back from the, from the camp in Joburg. Uh, they arrived, uh, not so long ago, and they are probably all having a nap now. I don't see any of them here. Amen. Probably didn't get much sleep on the bus, but also during the week. Such is the nature of camp. It's just so amazingly active and busy and relationship filled and I, I think they just a bit out of it this morning but amen we will see them on Wednesday at midweek and give them an opportunity just to to share which is always encouraging uh, for the rest of us too today's lesson starts in Zechariah chapter 4 now just some context here Zechariah was was a prophet who spoke on behalf of God to his people shortly after they returned to Jerusalem after spending 70 years in exile in Babylon. Now, Zechariah himself was one of the exiles who returned to Jerusalem, only to find it in ruins. The temple had been razed to the ground, the city walls had been destroyed, and there wasn't much left of Jerusalem itself in terms of the buildings and the streets and, and, the, and the infrastructure. And you can imagine the shock and the disappointment and the sadness that these returning exiles felt when they when they arrived at their city. Now, after 70 years, not many of them would have had memories of what Jerusalem was like, you know, before it was destroyed, but they certainly would have heard the stories in Babylon. They would have heard the stories from their parents and their grandparents, how awesome the temple was, what an, what an amazing city this was. No, it was God's special city. It was the city and the place where God dwelled with his people. And to come back and basically see it laid to waste. You can imagine what they felt. You know, so what God does in using Zechariah, he uses Zechariah to encourage and reassure his people that he would restore their city, but that he would also restore Israel as his people. And Zechariah isn't the easiest book in the Bible to read. I must admit, I haven't studied through Zechariah recently. I don't know about any of you. You know, it is, it contains eight visions. God basically explains to his people through Zechariah how he will restore them. And he uses eight visions and not all of them are that easy to understand. One of the visions is concerns the, the, the coming of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, through whom complete restoration would be offered and found. Now we're not going to look at that vision today. We're going to look at the fifth vision which starts in Zechariah 4, 
I'll read from verse 1 to 6, and I am reading from the Holman translation uh, in this case. The angel who was speaking with me then returned and roused me as one awakened out of sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I replied, I see a solid gold lampstand there, lampstand there with a bowl on its top. It has seven lamps on it and seven channels for each of the lamps on its top. There are also two olive trees beside it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Don't you know what they are, replied the angel who was speaking with me. I said, no, my Lord. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a vision about a golden lampstand with seven lamps and two olive trees standing beside it. What does it mean? Well, the golden lampstand symbolizes the temple. Now, the temple had a golden lampstand just like this in the sanctuary. So the golden lampstand symbolizes the temple. And the two olive trees providing oil to the lamp represent two people, the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, and Joshua the high priest who would oversee the rebuilding of the temple by the returned exiles. And we can read about that in the books of Ezra and and Nehemiah. And God would equip and use these two leaders, the governor and the priest, as well as the exiles who have returned to Jerusalem, he would use them in an amazing way to rebuild his temple. And if you read about this, this was an incredibly complex, arduous project. It wasn't easy. You know, it involved leadership, it involved planning, um, sourcing special materials that were needed to rebuild the temple from all over the known world. It required logistics, it required specialist skills, it required high level of of artisanship. It required teamwork, and it required plain hard work and sacrifice. You know, so God would equip and use these two men, as well as the recently returned exiles, to rebuild his temple. How did they complete this almost impossible task? With their limited experience, their limited resources, how would they complete this? And God says, by my spirit. By God's spirit. Yes, the Israelites sacrificed. The Israelites worked hard to build the temple, but it was made possible by God's spirit. Not by human effort, God says, but by my spirit. Now, when God's people do God's work, it is enabled by God's spirit. I'm going to repeat that. When God's people do God's work, it is enabled by God's spirit. You know, so what's the significance of this to us? We too are building something. We too are busy with a building project. You know, similar to the project of the Israelites in 500 BC, more or less, in the time of Zechariah, we are building God's new covenant temple, the church. Now, as we read in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, now Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. We are building a temple. You know, and how can we do this? How can we build the church? What, what do we need to do to build the church? You know, the lessons from the Israelites is this. You know, we plan, we sacrifice, we work hard, 
We bring our experience and skills to the project. We work as a team. There's division of labor. There's leadership and direction. But ultimately, God, through his spirit, makes it happen. Not by strength and might, but by my spirit. God says to us, as he said to the Israelites two and a half thousand years ago. You know, Paul understood this. You know, no one worked harder than Paul to establish and build the church. He pushed himself to his physical and emotional limits, proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, bringing Christians to maturity. He was a master builder. Paul was a master builder of churches. Yet he had this to say about building the church in 1 Corinthians 3. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You know, what was going on here is that the the Corinthian church at this time was a very worldly church. You you had some Christians who who supported Paul. They thought he was the man. Others supported Apollos. No doubt there were other leaders that they supported. That was just the culture of, of the Gentiles. You know, they had their favorite sort of idols in the church. And this was causing division. So Paul diffuses this situation and he says, it's not about me, it's not about Apollos, we did our bit, but it's about God who makes things grow. God makes things grow. Not by might or strength, not by our effort, but by his spirit. So like Paul and the early Christians, we are building. We are building God's church. Not in our strength, Yes, we come, we partner with God, we provide what we have, we sacrifice, we work, we work hard, but it is not our effort that results in the church growing. It is by God's Spirit. Through God's leadership, through God's power, which is provided to us through His Spirit. You know, later on in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul explains how we need to build on, on the foundation that is Jesus. And he says you need to build with the right building materials. He says you can build with gold, silver, sorry, gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can build with wood, straw, and hay. What he's saying is you can build with materials that last forever, or you can build with materials that are not going to last for very long. And then he goes on to say that how we build, the quality of our materials will be tested when Jesus returns. And that's a bit, that was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Because we can be building something, church, we can be building a community of believers that looks good. It looks like a church. You know, we're doing all the right things, we're building, we seem to be growing, but we will only know whether we have built right when Jesus returns and we test it by fire. You know, how can we be sure that we are building on the right foundation that is Jesus? How can we be sure that we are building with the right materials? It is to be led and filled by God's Spirit. God makes things grow. Amen. You know, towards the end of each year, I spend some time um, reflecting on my own discipleship and also how the church is doing. You know, I consider what's done, what's gone well, 
where I can kind of grow as a disciple, where the church can do better, and where we have fallen short in our calling to discipleship and mission. And I pray for clarity on what the church needs going forward. And leading up to 2016, God put on my heart that we need to focus on Jesus. You guys remember that? You know, our theme for, for the year was it's all about Jesus. And then leading up to last year, 2017, it was on my heart that we need to increase our faith. So we had a year focused on increasing our faith. I think we, most of us are still wearing the wristbands, right? So those have been our themes. And I just want to mention up front that those are not annual themes that we just forget about. The purpose of a theme is to get momentum and for the airplane to take off. We are still, it is still all about Jesus. It will always, it will always be all about Jesus. That's the foundation we build on. We are Christ-centered church. Certainly striving to be. We continually need to increase our faith. Now, so I just want to clarify that the theme is, oh, those themes are gone. We got that one sorted out. Let's move on to the next one. They continual themes. It's just to help us focus and get off the ground, so to speak. Then we can kind of fly. You know, but interestingly, last year things happened a bit differently. Long before the end of the year, God put on my heart a need for me personally and a need for this family to be more spirit-filled and more spirit-led than we have been in the past. And I see lots of nodding heads. And over a few months, I shared this conviction with Nolene. I shared it with other church leaders. Um, I shared it with some of you. And everyone I shared it with said, you know, that just sounds right, it sounds awesome, it sounds important. We need to be Spirit-led. Too often as a church and as a movement, we focus on what the Spirit doesn't do instead of focusing on what He does. You know, so that is what this year is about. You know, that we get to know this Holy Spirit better, we understand Him better, we are filled by Him and we are led by Him. So this is our theme for the year, Spirit-filled. And our foundation scripture is the one we've just read from Zechariah 4. Not by strength or might, but by my spirit. Dean isn't here, but I'd like to thank him for, for the image he put together. And I just want to explain it quickly. Uh, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is represented by different symbols, two of which are a dove and fire. And there are others, and we're going to get into that in a few, in a few weeks' time. So the dove and the, the fire, the flame, represent the Holy Spirit. The cross represents the Spirit emanating from Jesus. The, as we will see today, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are inseparable. So the cross represents Jesus. And we're going to look at you know, how Jesus prepared his disciples the day before he was arrested. He prepared them that I am going to the Father. So the cross represents that connection and that transition. And the world represents mission. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. And the next slide, I've, I've actually put it up in, in words because this, this is really important. I've prayed a lot about this. As a church, we have been speaking about, we've been studying out some of these things. But my dream, my prayer for this church is that in 2018 and beyond, we will be filled and led by the Spirit of God to build a Christ-centered, family-focused, and mission-minded church of all nations and generations committed to knowing Jesus and making him known. Now, we've been talking about this quite a lot, but the part we haven't been talking about is 
is to be filled and led by the Spirit. The role of the Spirit in building this kind of church, how we partner with Him, how we let Him do His work, and we do our work. Amen. So I hope you guys are excited. Um, I certainly am. I'm so looking forward to this year. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I think we're going to be stretched out of our comfort zones. I certainly am. Big time. Jay is his smiling. We're all, we're all going to be stretched, aren't we? By the end of the year, I pray we have so, we have spiritual stretch marks. That we look so wrinkled and old. Only joking. But that we have spiritual stretch marks we've never had before. Because we've allowed God's Spirit to fill us and to lead us. Now, so what does a spirit-filled church look like? What does a spirit-filled life look like? How does the Spirit build God's church? What's the Spirit's role versus our role? Why is there so much confusion about the Holy Spirit? How do we, how do we know when we are quenching the Spirit? How do, how do the miraculous gifts of the Spirit fit into all of this? Now, these are just some of the questions we will be tackling this year as we focus on knowing the Spirit better and allowing Him to fill and lead us as we build God's church in Port Elizabeth. And this is it's particularly important because in the larger world and even in the, the larger Christian movement, there are many different views of the Holy Spirit, aren't there? You know, it's kind of like a continuum. It's just, there are too many for me to even explain. But the views that I have experienced in, in churches I've attended in the past or speaking to individuals, and I just want to share a few with you. These to me are some of the views of the Holy Spirit. Some people understand the Holy Spirit in a very, as a very impersonal, powerful force. Now that just moves as he wants to move, but we can't really understand the Spirit because it's a, because the Spirit is a force. Now the Spirit is someone we can't relate to personally in any way, is what a lot of people believe. Others view the Spirit as some kind of an ultimate miracle man, you know, applying his trade, healing our diseases and fixing all our problems. Now as we call on the Spirit to heal and to fix. And the Spirit just is waiting in the wings there to, to jump in and solve all of our problems. On the extreme conservative view, some people believe that the Spirit worked very powerfully in the early church. We read about that in Acts. But once the Bible was put together, the Holy Spirit pretty much returned to heaven. And he's kind of distant now. You know, He's done his work and now we have the Scriptures. And the Scriptures replaces everything the Holy Spirit did. You kind of guys kind of come across some of those views? And the point is that none of those views represent and reflect what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. So there is a lot of learning we need to do. I believe a lot of us need to unlearn a lot of things. I don't know where this is going to take us. I haven't prepared the teaching program for the year at all. It's kind of four Sundays ahead, that's all. I think that's part of being led by the Spirit is we must get feedback and, and have discussions and, and see what's clear and, and what isn't and really be, be led by the Spirit, not just this year, but into the future. So today I want to start our Holy Spirit theme by helping us to get a correct biblical understanding of how we should think about the Spirit. And we're going to be digging into a lot of detail, but I'm just going to share three Three aspects of the Holy Spirit with us this morning just to kickstart us in this journey. And it really is going to be a journey. Would that be useful? Yeah. Amen. Good. So we're going to start with this passage. 
in John 14, verse 16 to 17. Now, this is where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, the Passover meal, the next day he's going to be arrested. And for th- this is just an amazing extended passage of Scripture from John 14 to John 16 and into 17. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he is no longer going to be with them. The disciples are somewhat scared and stressed about this. They've been with Jesus for three, three years. They can't imagine Jesus is going to leave them. And he goes to great pains with great love and patience explaining to them what this is going to look like. And in John 14, verse 16, he's, Jesus speaking, And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know, so Jesus refers to the Spirit as another helper. And this is the ESV, by the way. If I had to ask for the other translations, I'm sure I'd get another four or five different words. Am I right? Your Bible might say advocate, counselor, comforter, those sort of words. Now, the not the problem, but... This situation arises with so many translations because the Greek word parakletos is a very dense word with lots of meaning. It covers a lots of sort of, covers lots of roles. The direct or the transliteral translation of parakletos is the paraclete. And it means someone who comes alongside to help, to teach, to train, to support, to speak on behalf of and to encourage and even to challenge. And think about it. Those things describe the role that Jesus played with his disciples, didn't he? You know, he taught, he trained them, he challenged them, he stretched them out of their comfort zones, he spoke on their behalf, he told them what to say, etc. And Jesus says, I am sending another paraclete, another helper. And Jesus is saying that just like I have been your helper, so another helper will come. I am sending him. Now do not stress, do not be scared. I am not leaving you in that sense. But let me just mention one of, one of the words that is used to translate it is counselor. Now we tend to have a different view and understanding of this word counselor. He's not talking about like a marriage counselor or a youth counselor. It's legal terminology and it's similar to the advocate. He's saying that I will send someone to you who will speak on your behalf when you and the gospel are challenged. I will send someone to you who will call you aside and give you advice on how to respond when you and your mission and the gospel is challenged. That's what a, that's what a legal counselor does, right? Okay, so it's a, it's a legal setting that he's, he's talking about and also comforter. Once again, we in the Western world in particular have a certain view of a comforter. Um, I think we even call the things that babies suck a comforter, don't we? It doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is in the business of making our lives comfortable all the time and of taking our troubles away. It doesn't mean that. It refers to the comfort we will get when we face trials and, and when we persevere through them. In times of trials, in tough times, you know, Jesus was there to encourage and comfort his disciples. Now, the Holy Spirit does the same thing. Not to make, make our lives comfortable, but to help us get through trials 
that we need to knuckle down and persevere through. So Jesus says he'll send another advocate, another paraclete, as I said, someone who will interact with God's people, with disciples of Jesus, pretty much as Jesus has interacted with the twelve. I meant to kind of bring these pictures up a little bit later, but amen. I think you've already looked ahead to what I'm going to say here. A good modern-day translation of this term paraclete would be, I believe, and other reputable teachers of the Bible who I, rep, who I respect a lot, believe that a good translation nowadays would be a personal trainer. And think about it, Jesus was in many ways a personal trainer for his disciples. But let me ask you guys, I'll get some feedback here. What does a good personal trainer do? How many of you have ever had a personal trainer at the gym? hesitantly putting their hands up, baby. We've got a few. But I'm sure all of us have had a, a good coach at some time. Maybe a cricket coach or a rugby coach who takes an interest in us and spurs us on to do great things. What does a good personal trainer do? What sort of things does he, does he do? He or she do? Uh-huh. Good point. A lot of things are going to come up I didn't expect, but it's true personal trainer is concerned about your overall well-being and a good personal trainer would start with your diet. Okay, what you take in is rather important. Amen. Kiggs? Uh, I think it's spotting. So like what they do is what that guy is doing in the picture. So basically so that you don't like overexert yourself but also don't like like be lazy. So he's spotting. I don't know. It's a bit weird to explain. Kind of spurs on maybe? Pushes? But knowing what you are capable of, he'll be there to, to basically step in and, and protect and say, but he, he pushes you. He says, man, you can do this. You, you can squat another 10 kilos. I know you can. Sorry, Nolene Bongani? A good, absolutely. A good personal trainer will always start off and ask you a question. What is your goal? Where do you want to be? And then he will discuss that with you. He'll have a plan and he will know what you need to basically address your, your weaknesses. Okay? Or those things that you want to develop. Maybe it's muscles or some cardiovascular level of fitness, etc. Bongani? He will teach and train on all the machines. This is how you use this machine. This is what it does for you. Uh, so he will certainly instruct on how to use what's at our disposable to grow and to become fitter or stronger or whatever the goal might be. Peter? He'll give you the guidelines for what to do and not to do. Yeah, he'll, he'll tell you what to do, but good point, also not what to do. Eh? If you don't want to injure yourself badly, eh, then you better stay away from that. Cool. Okay, so you guys get a sense of how Jesus did these things with his disciples spiritually. So I find this very useful. I'm a practical guy. I've struggled, I think like many of you, to really understand how how the Holy Spirit works. But as I have, and this has been a journey of a couple of years already for me, as I have pictured the Holy Spirit in this role, I feel not just supported, but I feel challenged and I feel stretched, particularly to get out of my comfort zones. You know, a good personal trainer at the gym, what would he do if you... 
if you didn't pitch up for the appointment. He'd probably call you. What would he do if you pitched up there saying, oh, you know, I don't really feel like working out today. Kind of look, it's hot, and can't we just chill and sit in the steam room like lots of guys tend to do, I must say. The personal trainer will say, well, we've agreed on this. you signed up for this. If you want to develop, if you want to grow, you need to stick to the program. Not only stick to the program, but it's going to get progressively more challenged. Because if you keep on you know, bench pressing that little 25 kilogram weight, you're not going to grow. And I think if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we will hear the Spirit challenging us, especially to step out of our comfort zones. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a paraclete. He is a personal trainer like Jesus. He is also Jesus unlimited. I love this description as well. The Holy Spirit is Jesus 24-7. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus speaking still, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying that it's to your advantage that I go. I might have covered it already, but let me just draw it out of you. In what ways is the Holy Spirit better for us than Jesus? Corinth? Exactly. You guys get that? Absolutely. It would have been, it would be amazing to spend time with Jesus as part of a small group, right? But only, only a small group of people could really benefit from being with Jesus. Jesus was, Jesus chose to be limited by time, space, and matter. When he took on a physical body, he chose to be limited. The Holy Spirit isn't limited. The Holy Spirit, being a spirit, is not limited by time, space, and matter. He can be everywhere at the same time. He can be working in Chris's life at the same time as he's working in Corin and mine and everybody else. The Holy Spirit is unlimited. So Jesus said, it's a lot better that I go. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for the whole world. Because my, when, when my father pours out my spirit, as he has promised in the Old Testament, everybody benefits from being with me. You know, the Holy Spirit is Jesus unlimited. He's with us 24-7. Our personal trainer, teaching, training us, challenging, stretching us, as Jesus did with his disciples. We can't, in fact, separate the Holy Spirit from Jesus, as we can't separate Jesus from the Father and the Holy Spirit from the Father. Right? We believe we have a Trinitarian God, you know, that God is one God in three persons. And I know a lot of us un- don't understand that fully. Amen. I don't think we meant to. But we believe that God is, a, is one God in three persons. So we can't separate you know, the different people of the Godhead. But interestingly, you know, Paul makes a particular point in the context of living by the Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 9, we read, You however are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What strikes you there about how Paul refers to the Spirit? He refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of God and as the Spirit of Christ in the same thought, basically. You see that? So he's saying that, man, the Holy Spirit 
Now, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. You can't separate them. And that just reinforces what, what the Bible tells us, that you know, the Holy Spirit is Jesus unlimited. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus as much as he is the Spirit of the Father. Everything is, is connected in the Godhead. You know, so it's useful to think of the Spirit as Jesus unlimited. He's unlimited by our physical world. It's useful to think of the Spirit as our 24-7 personal trainer who teaches us, trains us, encourages us, and stretches us to become more like Jesus and to take up his mission. Now, the next point is that, you know, the Holy Spirit has a healthy obsession with Jesus. That's the only way I could explain it. Normally, obsessive compulsive behavior is a bad thing, right? And I hope I'm not being irre- irreverent when I say this, but I can get the impression that the Holy Spirit was OCD about Jesus. Everything was about Jesus for the Holy Spirit. You know, we read in John 15 from verse 26, Jesus speaking still, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And later on in John 16 from verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is not to get us to speak in tongues. It's not to give us supernatural experiences. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to testify to Jesus. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. To the Holy Spirit, it's all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. You know, and as our personal trainer, he trains and teaches us, he encourages us, and he stretches us to do the same. To bear witness to Jesus, to testify to Jesus, to glorify Jesus. You want to know if, maybe just a quick little dipstick test, you want to know how filled by the Spirit you are? Is your life all about Jesus? Do you testify to Jesus at every opportunity? Do you bear witness for Jesus? Do you glorify Jesus every opportunity you have? That's a quick little dipstick test for how full we are by the Spirit, whether we lead a Spirit-filled life. What the Holy Spirit does, people who are full by the Holy Spirit do. What the priorities and purpose of the Holy Spirit are, are the priorities and purpose of Jesus and the priorities and purpose of Jesus' followers. You know, the Holy Spirit has been called the shy one in the Trinity. I love that. Because he diverts attention away from himself. He diverts attention to Jesus. You know, I was also thinking about this. Now, I don't think we're in the danger of falling into this trap. But we must be careful as we deepen our understanding of the Spirit this year and in the future that we don't make it all about the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, if we really listen to him, will say... I don't want you to focus so strongly on me. I deflect attention. I direct your attention to Jesus. If you are full by the Spirit, you are a Christ-centered church. The Holy Spirit, sadly, is almost worshipped and idolized in some churches. It's all about the experience of the Spirit. 
Wasn't that an awesome service, the way the Spirit moved, and so on and so forth? I don't think that's what the Spirit wants. The Spirit fills us to get us to know Jesus, in close relate to love Jesus and to make Jesus known. The Holy Spirit deflects attention to Jesus. Just to summarize, a spiritful church is Christ-centered. A spiritful church is Jesus-focused. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus, to testify to him, to give glory to him. And the Holy Spirit, if he directs our lives, will direct us to do the same. And he does this as our personal trainer, teaching and training us, encouraging and stretching us to become more and more focused on Jesus, to follow Jesus with more and more commitment, to sacrifice more, to understand Jesus as Lord and Savior deeper and better, and to take up the baton that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples of all nations. Now that is what a spirit-filled church and spirit-filled people do. Now so let's finish there today. Next week we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit as a mission-minded spirit and how that plays out and what that means for us as a church. So the challenge for this week is simply to pray. Now let's be praying together. Let's pray for the church this year that, that we will be filled and led by the Spirit to be a Christ-centered, family-focused, mission-minded church of all nations and all generations, focused on knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Pray not only for the church, but pray for yourself. Pray that you will be more aware of the Holy Spirit teaching you, wanting to train you, challenging you, and stretching you to become more like Jesus. You know, pray that, that you will welcome him into that role. Pray that the Spirit will reveal any barriers that you have put up. Pray that the Spirit will reveal to you how you are quenching his work. Pray that you will partner properly and fully with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, let me conclude by, by praying.